0: You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Georgia Howe with The Daily Wire. Today, we sit down with Seth Dillon, the CEO of my favorite satire site, The Babylon Bee. Seth's new PragerU video is titled Killing Comedy, where he talks about what it's like trying to write satire when reality has become beyond parody. Seth also addresses the power of satire to combat bad ideas in society. Let's jump right in. So Seth, I'm really excited to have you here because I just want you to know, your site brings me, like, deep personal joy. And I think probably a lot of people watching this feel the same way. So thank you so much.
1: I love hearing that. That's good to hear.
0: In your video, you talk about how the world has become too absurd even for satire. Do you get the sense that the level of absurdity we've reached is unsustainable? And not just for you as a comic, but for society in general. And where do you think we go from here?
1: Well, it's unsustainable uh, in one sense, I mean, you have, so I lead, I lead the video with this quote of GK Chesterton saying, yeah, the world has become too absurd to be satirized. He said that in 1911. Um, and I would just, you know, I, I I just can't imagine what he would say if he were alive now, um, with all the absurd things that are happening. It does, it it makes the project of comedy so difficult because it's hard to exaggerate, you know, what's already such an exaggeration in in a parody of itself. Of course, that's, that's one problem. But yeah, in, in terms, practical terms, in terms of where we're actually at as a society, is it sustainable to keep yeah. going in this direction? Um, I don't think so. And I, I think it's only a matter of time. I've always felt, you know, that in, in politics and in society, you know, you have these kind of pendulum swings where where things go one way and then people feel like that's too extreme. It's going too far this way. And so they push back on it. And there's kind of this natural swing that happens kind of back and forth. And I'm very hopeful that we have a swing back in the other direction soon. Because I agree with you that it does feel unsustainable sometimes.
0: Well, yeah, I and mean, you have people seeing things on the news, and like on the news or on the TV, that they know are with their eyes and ears are like completely opposite of reality. And it, I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. crazy-making. That I can't help but think that there will be a, some sort of swing back. But we have yet to see it in a in like a major way, as far as <laughs> as far as you know, I've seen.
1: Well, we hope to play a role in that. You know, one of the things that we do, the most succinct way I can put what we actually do is we ridicule bad ideas. And so all of these bad ideas and bad policies and, and hypocritical behavior and all of that, the role of satire is to attack that and expose it for the absurdity and the silliness that it is. Uh, and hopefully that, that has some kind of an impact on people's thinking. You know, that's really, it's really the reason we do what we do.
0: One of the things you talk about in the video is that satire is more necessary now than ever. I'm going to play a quick clip of that and then I have a question for you.
1: Satire is necessary for the same reason. Satire ridicules bad ideas. And now, more than ever, bad ideas need to be exposed for what they are before they gain an even bigger foothold on our minds and hearts, especially on the minds and hearts of young people. And while good philosophy and rational argumentation are indispensable, it's often humor that's most effective. To quote our friend G.K. Chesterton once more, humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle.
0: You seem concerned about bad ideas gaining a foothold in society, almost as if we're kind of on a precipice of something. What are you most concerned about for society?
1: Well, I don't know that it's necessarily one thing. I think that it's really this obsession with narrative and, and political correctness. I think that When you have so many people who have bought into these false narratives and keep pushing these false narratives, then you have a a situation where there are literally millions of people completely detached from reality. And they're reacting to things. They're upset about things that are imaginary. um, And that results in a lot of uh, bad policy and and responses that are are just irrational. Um, So I think it's more just a problem, a general problem of this detachment from reality that's really the main concern. Um, with how things are getting you know going too crazy, going a little bit too extreme. Um, and so yeah, that's 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 really what' I'm, I'm highlighting there.
0: So I don't know about you. I, I sometimes worry too about, you know, we'll lose a part of our heritage, like the um, some of the American values that you or I maybe were grew up with in school, that if you have a full generation of people who kind of miss out on those, where does society like can they be regained in a in a later generation? that's a concern i have i don't know do you share that
1: yeah absolutely i mean and that, and that's a responsibility that we have now you know that's that's why i talk about this before these ideas can gain foothold in young people's minds and hearts that's a that's the focus i have is is young people because we are going to have an entire generation of people who grow up you know buying into nonsense and and believing things that aren't true and 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 changing the definition of words so that they mean something totally different than they originally meant. And just restoring this under restoring sanity and an understanding of actual history and the negative consequences of some of these ideas is very important. So, yeah, one of the things that I wanted to highlight was that, you know, you can have, Good philosophy and rational argumentation to fight back against you know bad arguments, bad reasoning. But there's also this role, and it sounds like such a negative term when you say ridicule. You know, ridicule sounds so negative. It sounds like you're making fun of somebody, you're you're putting them down, or you're bullying them, or something. Um, but there is a moral good to ridicule when it when the target of what you're ridiculing is something bad. So if you're you know when you're taking down something bad with ridicule, you're actually doing a good thing, even though it sounds bad. So. Um, that's the project that we're engaged in, and 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 it's you know that's that's really where I'm coming from, and that concern for the minds and hearts of our youth.
0: I think a lot about the Gen Z kids and what they make of all this, because at this point they've been raised, or at least the past ten years, their formative years, on a diet of almost a hundred percent woke claptrap, and yet you know they have eyes and ears and they have a yeah. nose that can smell BS. Do you predict that there's going to be a counterculture that develops among Gen Z?
1: Uh, I think there is a lot more pressure to conform and to do what's popular and to score virtue points by, you know, uh, uh, kind of towing the line of whatever's politically correct in the moment, that pressure on youth is tremendous. And, and I think that it is, uh, it's probably going to take really, um, forcefully, Getting the message of truth across to them and putting it in front of them, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be something that a lot of people seek. I do. I do agree with you that we have this kind of natural tendency to like smell out like when we're being fooled by something, and I think probably a lot of people sense that. But especially in young people, they can be very impressionable, you know, very subject to peer pressure, um, and so there can be this tendency, I think, to to go along with whatever's pop uh, popular. But also, this it comes from this like uh, moral side of sanctimony of being better than everybody else. You know, like I'm offended by this and you're not. That makes me better than you. Um, there's a lot of that going on too. So there's so much psychology, psychological stuff at play uh, in all of this. So you know what what PragerU does with you know creating these short videos that educate people on uh, on topics of importance, things that matter. Um, I think is is extremely beneficial, and you and you see the you see the impact all the time. You know, you see kids saying that their mind has been changed about something, their their eyes have been opened to something. Um, you know, and they weren't necessarily seeking that; it was in front of them, and then they respond to it. So, I think that when you confront people with actually good reasons for something, um, and you also expose the absurdity of something they've bought into, then you're really going to get a response.
0: In your video, you claim that Facebook paid USA Today to write refutations of your jokes.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: what happened there?
1: You know, I, I, it's so circular, all of this stuff. It all goes around in this big circle where, you know, Facebook is penalizing people, but they're penalizing people for things that other publications said they did. And the other publications are saying they did it because Facebook paid them to say it. So you've got this big loop going on. Yeah, they have, they spend a lot of money, you know, in an in a election cycle a few years ago, the biggest concern out there was fake news fake news we got to get rid of fake news we got to do something about fake news so facebook started investing a lot of money in hiring people to police their network and um and take down articles that were misleading um, and so you know they started working with fact checkers and and paying these third-party fact checkers and now it's just weird because some of these fact checks you know the thing with usa today is just wild They're having them refute the most absurd jokes. They're not – the fact-checking thing, I thought the whole purpose of fact-checking was to, like, go after these things that are commonly believed, right? This is a commonly believed lie. We need to refute it. Well, Facebook has USA Today out there. They're spending a ton of money, and they're fact-checking things like uh, Ninth Circuit Court overturns the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. (laughs) And it's like – that is just such a silly thing. You can't overturn somebody's death. You know, why do you just cite 15 sources and spend uh, an hour of your time uh, refuting that joke? So um, there's something going on there for sure.
0: Well, are they doing the same thing to The Onion?
1: Uh, no, not, not really in the same way. No. I mean, The Onion does get fact-checked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of these things that you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, why isn't The Onion being fact-checked? They do get fact-checked okay. to some extent, um, some of the time, not as often as we do. Um, not for the same reasons that we do, and it's not handled in the same way. You know, the the thing that we, when we had this big run-in with Snopes a few, a couple of years ago, what we were objecting to was the way they were fact-checking us. You know, they were imputing these these motives on us where they were saying that we're deceiving people on purpose. But when they would fact-check The Onion, they would say, oh, this article came from The Onion. They're a funny satire site. You should laugh. It's a joke. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't fact-check our stuff that way, so there's not really much consistency in how they're done.
0: What, it was right-wing misinformation, I'm guessing. Is that?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We are right-wing misinformation for sure. Yeah.
0: In terms of Facebook and Snopes kind of coordinating to shut you down, do you get the sense that they that they just don't get the jokes, or do you think do you feel like they're threatened by what you're poking fun at, and that's why they are going out of their way to silence you? One example that really made me wonder is this uh, headline that you put out shortly after Hurricane Harvey. So maybe you remember this one. Joel Osteen sails luxury yacht through flooded Houston to pass out copies of Your Best Life Now. And that was fact-checked by Snopes.
1: I love that article, by the way. That's one of my favorites.
0: Do you think that they just actually thought that was a real article, or is there something else going on?
1: They, get, they, they totally get them. I mean, there's no excuse. So for one thing, I, I think it'd be a little bit different. If we were like this pop-up satire site that came out of nowhere that no one had heard of, and we were just, you know... Uh, publishing this stuff out of nowhere. Maybe people would look at us with you know skepticism. Who are these guys? What are they doing? Um, we've been around for, since 2016. So we've been around five years now. We're doing more traffic and more social engagement than The Onion. So we are like the most popular satire site at this point. There's no excuse for anybody in the media or in these fact-checking agencies to be like confused. Oh, this came from the Babylon Bee. What is this really about? Is this a joke or not? Come on. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's just silly. Plus, if you spend any time at all on our website, and, and, these, are, and these, are, these are fact checkers and journalists who are supposed to be looking into this stuff and digging and getting under the hood to find out what's really going on, right? Well, if you spend about 10 seconds on our website, you know, you go to our About page or you look at some of these ridiculous Photoshop's we have on there, um, it's all pretty obviously jokes, even if there are some articles that are somewhat believable. There are many that are just really ridiculous and absurd, like the CNN purchases industrial washing machines to spin the news in before publishing it. Um, That kind of stuff is just so over the top. But that's an important point, though, about how some of them are believable. There's this weird thing going on on the left, and they know what they're doing, but they're they're, they're doing this on purpose. They've kind of like redefined satire. And thought of it in terms of it needs to be, if it's going to be satire, legitimate satire, it needs to be so ridiculous and so absurd that no one could possibly believe it was true. That's the standard they apply to us. That's the kind of thing we should be writing. Well, I mean, think about it. It, When someone says for every every joke there's a grain of truth, right? You know, jokes aren't funny unless they have a really close proximity to the truth. That's how jokes work. You, you would, you ha- that's how you recognize that there's something there. It's actually attached to reality. It's not divorced from it. Um, so when we actually have one of our stories get shared very widely because somebody believes that it's true and shares it thinking it's true, that's an indictment of whoever or whatever is being satirized. It's not an indictment of satire. So I think they get that totally wrong. And I think they get it wrong on purpose.
0: Well, and you're kind of wading into some really murky territory when you're deciding what kind of jokes are allowed and what aren't and policing what people are allowed to say, I mean right. like that itself goes into some really kind of creepy territory. Do you sense that Facebook has like like kind of been really going there with you guys
1: we're trying to we're trying to determine what jokes we can tell.
0: Well, in terms of like flat out censorship of political speech
1: um well, I mean it's hard to say you know facebook for for to their credit, they have in these cases like when we had when we first had snopes fact-checking us, and Facebook was saying, oh, you guys are going to be demonetized and deplatformed if you don't stop sharing false information. When we pushed back on them and we're like, look, this is satire. This is not fake news. There's a distinction between these two. They acknowledged that. And they did they did apologize and say there is a distinction between fake news and satire. You guys are satire. We apologize for you know giving you that warning or whatever. So I don't know if things will change. I, I do know that there is... There's constantly these evolving standards for how they're going to enforce their community guidelines. Um, I think the biggest threat is not really the social networks. Um, That will come later. The threat now is New York Times, CNN, Rolling Stone, Wikipedia, reliable sources. And I I put that in quotes for a reason. These are reliable sources that mischaracterize us purposefully and if they can get their lies to stick and when they when they say that we're a far right misinformation site that traffics in misinformation um what they're trying to do is smear us and if they can get that lie to stick then what what's facebook going to do in response to that they have to shut us down they have to stop the spread of fake news right so if new york times says we're fake news facebook is going to take us off their platform so it's not really facebook's fault in that situation that is you know the media feeding facebook what they need to do what they want to need, the excuse that they would need to, to take action. So, um, it's, that's why it's so important for us to kind of be very vocal in refuting that stuff and, and, and pushing back hard against that mischaracterization, because it really does have negative implications for the future of the business.
0: Well, and there's this really profound effect on, you know, viewers of your site. If they are made to think that they're laughing at something that is a far right misinformation site, it makes them feel kind of icky about the fact that they like the Babylon Bee. And yeah. that kind of affects their willingness to even engage with ideas that are outside of the permitted mainstream. So I, I do feel like it, it, has an, it has a psychological effect beyond just, um, beyond just how it affects you, you know?
1: Yeah, well, and when they say these things, they then retract them later, right? They make a correction or a, a editor's note or something like that. But everyone well, sees too late. the original yeah. It's too late. They've already given that people that impression. People already buy into it and believe it. Um so they're not really fixing it when they do that. So yeah, you're absolutely right that it that it gets into people's minds.
0: All right. Seth, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you online?
1: Uh, Well, com for one, Uh, you can find us, uh, uh, you can sign up on our website, we have all kinds of options for subscription stuff too if you want access to like exclusive content. But we're all over, for now, we're all over social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, but we're also set up on other places like Telegram and stuff like that in in the event that we lose those platforms. But yeah, that's where you can find us.
0: Excellent. If you haven't checked it out yet, you must go to com. You will not be disappointed. And that's the end of today's Office Hours. Make sure to tune in next week for our conversation with a new PragerU presenter. I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, if you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU five-minute video, make sure to click on the link in the description below, or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter.